0: Hey, this week I get to start a brand new series. I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, We're calling it the Generation Series. And um, the idea behind the Generation Series is that God has given our church Our church is a multi-generational church. God has given us a a good representation of every generation in our church. We think that's a great blessing, a wonderful thing, and uh, we want to maximize the good that can come out of having many generations in one church. Have you ever been to a church that you sit down and you look around and you realize that everyone is over a certain age group and not under? I'm not, I'm not going to try to be <laughs> too specific about that. Everybody's older. Ever been to a church, gone to a service like that? You know what? Wonderful churches. Many wonderful churches are like that. My home church where I grew up is very much like that. When I go and uh, sit down, I realize I'm the youngest person in the room. And uh, unless I bring my kids, then they're the youngest person in the room. And a wonderful church, great church, lovely people. But if we're really blunt and honest, something is missing in the fact that there are not younger generations in the church. I have a friend who's a church planter, and uh, he is, uh, has actually planted, I don't know if it's a half a dozen, but a number of churches in Canada, and one, ch- one church plant, he said, scares him the most. So he's planted all these churches, but he said the one church plant that scares him the most, he had a young leader in his church who was really, you know, a good leader, strong leader, really young, sent him away to a different city, And uh, they planted a church, and the church took off and is actually doing well and thriving. He said he goes and visits it, and he gets scared. And the reason he gets scared is he realizes there's nobody in that church over a certain age. He says they don't have any seniors in their church. And he says, I know there's lots of activity. I know there's lots of uh, effort and, and things happening. He says, but I get worried because I'm not sure if there's any wisdom and experience to glue it all together. <laughs> and he's, he's responsible for overseeing that church. He comes in as an older uh, man and comes in and goes, Lord, protect these guys. <laughs> so there, it's, I think it's a real strength in being a multi-generational church, right? The, the strength that the, the younger generations bring to us is they have idealism. That means they really want to pursue things passionately and purely, right? They say, we really want, a, why are things the way that they are? Why can't they change? They ask really good questions that actually spur older ones on. The things that older ones bring is they bring experience and wisdom. Year, or decades of storing up experience which causes them to understand how life works. And and you know, it's funny. You figure out how life works near the end of your life. And then you're like, oh, if I'd known this in my teen years, 20 years, 20s or 30s or, or something like that I would have done things differently well I think the point is you store all that up and you're meant to pass it on you're meant to find people who are in their teen years 20s or 30s and maybe it's your own kids or maybe it's other people and you're meant to pass that on and say hey you know what this is what I've learned through all my years and you know what if you applied it in the stage that you're at you'd do it better than me you'd be more successful Uh, your life would be have less hardship and less difficulty if you would learn uh, from the things that I have I have learned now there's a great big challenge in this Uh, there's a great big challenge in the communication between the generations and I have tried to boil it down to two things I, I, there's lots I could say on this. I've done lots of watching of videos and stuff and reading articles about defining the generations. You know, builders, boomers, Gen X, Gen Y, Gen Z. That's our newest one. Um, and we want, But I'm not going to get into those kind of details today. I want to actually look a little bit more at what the Bible says about this transfer of wisdom that happens between the generations and how it's supposed to happen, and why sometimes it doesn't happen. Um, Let me look at Psalm 145.4. This will be sort of our theme verse for this whole series. Psalm 145.4, and I've got it in the New American Standard Bible here because I like the way it's phrased. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. So imagine you've got an older generation speaking to a younger generation and they're saying this is what God did this is what God taught me this is what God showed him. this is how God showed himself to me who he is this is how I came to understand his greatness his power his majesty his love his care his compassion this is how I I this is how God uh taught me how to live like this. This is how how I learned to uh, be a husband. This is how I learned to be a wife. This is how I learned to be a, a father or a mother. This is how I learned to be a good employee. This is how I learned to this, that, and the other. This is all the things that God has taught me and I praise God for it. And I'm telling you this so that you can have instead of the experience of making all the exact same mistakes I made, you can have the experience of gaining wisdom, and taking a better path. But there's two basic things, I think, that are really needed in order for this transfer to happen, for wisdom to happen for one generation. And the first is lives that teach. Lives that teach. I, I, might, I don't know if the, the subtitle has been up there or not, but there basically two things. Lives that teach and hearts that hear. And we'll probably use those things uh, a few t- times during this series, but I wanted just to establish them today. Lives that teach and hearts that hear. So I want you to imagine, I'm trying to look out here and see what the average age is of each section. Which is the youngest section? How many of you think you're in the youngest section? Yeah, everyone. No, uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay, I got more hands over here we are willing to admit it. Okay, so we'll say this half of the room, because of the great representation of the hands over here, is the hearts that hear. Yeah, and yeah, they're excited about it. They're looking forward to what they're going to hear. And then over there say, we'll say this is the the lives that teach. Okay, so don't be insulted if you feel very young on this side. Just say you're mature. Okay. Um, so I'll just use those, these two sides of the stage to help illustrate this. So what happens is there's a communication that happens from the older generation, and then there's that's being there's something being taught. And then there's something being heard. And sometimes there's a gap in the middle that actually prevents the transfer of wisdom. And I think the gap actually exists. The, the, the obstacles to hearing can happen on both sides. For one, maybe the, the teaching isn't done well or, the te- or what the wisdom isn't being given well. Maybe this transfer isn't, that's where the gap is. But there also can be a gap on this side where the hearing isn't done well. And so maybe uh, even if the teaching comes really well, it isn't heard. Or maybe these people really want to hear, but the teaching that they're getting is so poor that they're not getting it. right? So what I'd love to have is I'd love to have lives that teach really well. They sort of go the extra mile to make sure that this side gets it. And I love that if this side, they listen really well so that they go the extra mile, even if the communication isn't that great, they're still picking up lots because they're really yearning to get wisdom. That's what I really love, this wonderful overlap to happen in the church where it's like we are trying our best to pass on the best stuff that God has given us to the next generation and we are trying our best to get the best stuff that God has given to that generation. Right? Both sides sort of yearning together to have this transfer of, of incredible wisdom happen. So let's, talk with, let's start with the first part. I'm, gonna, I'm just looking at my time here. I've got to make sure I be pretty even here with who I'm talking to. So let's just start. So if you're on this side of the room, I'm going to talk to you first. Lives that teach. Okay? So how to be heard by the next generation. How to be heard by the generation. By the way, if you're in a middle generation like me, I'm right smack in the middle. I'm like sort of the average Canadian age. I'm a Gen Xer, a little tiny generation stuck in the middle between the boomers, which is a massive generation, and the millennials, which is another massive generation. Gen Xers. There's a few of us. Anyhow, but if you're in the middle of any of these, you have the unique opportunity. In fact, probably the only generation that only is going to do one of these activities is the builder generation. So if you're like in your like late 70s or in your 80s, there's probably not a generation above you now. Okay? Not maybe too many who are above you in a generation. So probably your job now is just to teach. But most of us will have, play both of these roles. So I can come over here and listen from boomers and builders, and I can go over here and teach millennials and gen centennials, right? Gen Z, right? I play both roles, and most of us do. So I want you to hear this part, how you can teach. I want you to hear this part, how you can hear, okay? And think about it, and hopefully both sides of this message will apply to you. And even if you say, well, I'm one of the youngest people in the church, you won't be forever. You're going to have to pass on to younger ones who come after you. So how to be heard by the next generation so they don't repeat your mistakes or invent even worse ones, okay? Number one, earn the right to speak through relationship. So if you have experience, if you have wisdom, you already have something valuable, but generally people don't care. Generally people don't care how much you know until... They know how much you care, right? I should have asked the age of the people who just responded to me. That would be very interesting, right? They don't know, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Ephesians 4.15 talks about the importance of how we communicate. It says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is in Christ. So do you want to become a mature as an individual, do we want to become mature as a church? It takes speaking the truth, but the, it's done in love. So we earn the right to speak through relationship. I think it's even more clearly spelled out in 1 Thessalonians 2.8. 1 Thessalonians 2.8 says it this way. So we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Are you getting the picture? How does this communication happen? How does the communication go this way? What's really important is earning the right to speak through relationship. It's not just the message that matters, it's not just truth that matters, but it's the messenger. It's how we communicate. Right? When we communicate to younger generations, do we communicate with disdain? Do we communicate contemptuously? Do we, or do we, or are we, do we love them so much? Do we love them so much that we not only tell them truth, but we give them our lives? We give them our time. We give them our presence. We carve out space in our lives for them. Let me read that again. So we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. So relationship is really key. So who am I going to be able to pass on my wisdom to? People I have a relationship with. Well, I'll be able to pass it on the best. Now, people who are like ninjas at hearing will still get stuff from people who maybe are not speaking with great love because they're that good at hearing. But when we're standing on this side, we're not assuming that everyone's that good at hearing. And yet we still love them, and we still want good for them, and we really want God's best for them. And so we take the extra effort to communicate our love for them, and not just to say it, but to live it, to demonstrate it, So we earn the right to speak through relationship and that's true we if you're on the hearing side the people that you know love you you listen to them more because they've got a stake in your life and they uh, they care about the outcome you know that they're not just telling you truth uh, to sort of smarten you up they're telling you truth because they care about the outcome of your life here's the second thing so earn the right to speak through relationship and approach from the positive this sounds fairly similar You know, young men and women will gravitate to sources of affirmation in their life. When you're young, you have questions about yourself, right? Do I have what it takes? Am I doing this right? I'm trying to be an adult, and I'm not sure if this is how you are an adult, and so on this side, you have people who have the an experience, and they can affirm them and say, yeah, this, what you just did was good. That's right. Now, you look at them, and they say, you know, sometimes older people can be intimidated by younger people, and you think, man, they got the swagger. They look like they got the world by the tail. They, they're, they're intuitive with technology. They, oh, man, what do they need from us? You do not know what's under the surface. What's under the surface was what you were like when you were their age questions. Can I really do this? Am I really ready for this? How do I do this? Nobody taught me to do this. And so you come in there with affirmation, and you say, you find the things that they're doing well, and then you can affirm that, and then there's an openness to move into areas where they aren't doing well, and they need that help and that correction. That's the younger generation. So many of them are living lives without a blueprint, I'm part of Gen X, Let me talk about Gen X for a moment. We're the first generation, we talk about blended families, okay? Um, there's a lot of my generation who are part of blended families, or children of divorce, right? Because it was in my generation, when I was a kid, that divorce became more commonplace. Right, So when you talk about the latchkey kids, that was my generation they were talking about. That was me when I was a kid. When I was in grade two, um, my three best friends, uh, boy, can I remember them? Jimmy, Dougie, and Sean. In uh, about one school year, all three of their parents got divorced. And uh, two of them moved away to Winnipeg. That's what I sort of figured out happened when you got divorced when I was a kid. You had to move to Winnipeg, which... (laughs) Seems awful enough, really. <laughs> and then the last one, uh, who, the one who stayed behind, he, he, didn't, pass, he didn't pass that year because life was hard. And so then I went into grade three and I lost my three best friends. Okay, that's my generation, that's Gen X, right? Um, but talk about growing up with some of the blueprint missing and you're trying to fill it in. And even those of us who grew up in a where the marriage thing was intact, we're still missing pieces of our blueprint because nobody got a perfect set of parents, right? So we're all trying to fill it in. And when someone comes along and says, you're doing that right, you don't know how big that is. Really? Because I'm just guessing here. I'm just trying. I'm just imitating other people and I don't really know what I'm doing and I don't even know if this is the right thing. You're doing that right. That's going to lead down a good road. That's going to be good for your life. You're doing it right. Approach from the positive. It's really important to begin that way. Listen to Proverbs 16, 21. Uh, It says to 24. The wise in heart are called discerning and gracious words promote instruction. We're talking about being positive. Prudence is a fountain of life to the prudent, but folly brings punishment to fools. Listen to these two. The heart of the wise make their mouths prudent, and their lips promote instruction. Gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweet to the whole soul and healing to the bones. If you come into a life and all you're bringing is correction, there may be, you might find some resistance. But if you're bringing gracious words, there's going to be an openness to correction as well because you're a source of healing in a person's life. Ephesians 4.29 says, Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Good advice for those who want to teach. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit Those who listen. That should be the mantra of anyone who hopes to pass on anything to the next generation. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what's helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So a good question to ask. Is this helpful? Will this build them up? Will this benefit them? That's what we want to do. So even when you're bringing correction, bringing it... Uh, and in the most gracious way possible is helpful. Here's an example. Uh, Exodus 18. So Moses has a father-in-law. His name is Jethro, and Jethro is coming to visit him. Let me read it. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardships they'd met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. Okay, so you tell your father-in-law what's going on in your life. And Jethro, here's his response, was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hands of the Egyptians. Listen to what he says. He said, Praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hands of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know the Lord is greater than all the other gods, for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God, and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law in the presence of God. So Moses, okay, he's the leader of a nation, But here comes his father in law. Even leaders of nations want a pat on the back. And here comes his father in law and says, You know what? When I hear about what you're doing, I'm so pleased. I'm delighted. This is amazing. God is working in your life. This is good, 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 good. Attaboy, son in law. Proud of you. You're on the right track. You're doing good. Now, this is really important that this part of the story happens because the next part of the story is different. It says, the next day Moses took his seat to serve as a judge for the people and they stood around him from morning till evening. And when his father-in-law saw all Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this you are doing for the people? Why do you... Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning to evening? And Moses answered him, Because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me and decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. And Moses' father-in-law replied, What you are doing is not good. Now, that's correction. What you are doing is not good. Now, the thing is, he's already affirmed Moses. He's already saying how good things are, how wonderful they are. It puts him in an incredible position to actually speak into Moses's life, to speak and say, hey, you know what? I see so much good in what's happening, but I got to talk about this one thing, because what you're doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Imagine if Jethro had started there. Imagine if when he got to see Moses, he said, hey, what you're doing here, Moses, is not good. Moses would have been like, get lost. I'm not listening to you. I mean, I married your daughter, but I really don't want to have any connection with you. My father-in-law. But he came in with words of delight, affirming him, and then he was able to speak persuasively and to be heard when it came to instruction. Right now, the sound man is saying, Steve, the mic you're holding is not actually working. Your headset's working. And because I have ears to hear and am teachable, <laughs> I could have went the whole time. Thanks so much. <laughs> Everybody needs correction. Right. All right, let me give you another one. Stretch to be vulnerable. I've just got a few more things to say and then I want to switch gears uh, to talk to the hearts that hear. Again, talk to the other side of you (laughs) stretch to be vulnerable let me encourage you when you are okay so as the one who's hearing let me speak through the generations older than me don't tell us how much you know about God without telling us the process tell us how because the process is something that's missing in our blueprint we often don't know how you seem like you know the Bible inside out how did you get there what was the process how did, how did, don't tell us how much you love God without telling us how did you come to love God? What, what did you have to go through to get a faith like yours that seems strong and stable? Don't tell us how much you came to trust and obey God without telling us how did you come to trust and obey God? Please describe the process to us. Tell us about your insecurities. Tell us about your fears and your doubts and your mistakes. And then tell us how God worked in you anyhow. At the end of the day, we're not really looking, if you're wondering, what do younger people want? What do they want from us? We don't want a like stained glass picture of perfection. We actually want a window through which we can see God's grace at work. One of the most helpful conversations I had with my grandfather was at the end of his life, he was in the hospital, a little while before he passed away, and I think because I was the pastor in the family, he decided he was going to confess everything. That took me a little bit off guard. He told me all sorts of different things that I thought, oh, I don't know if I wanted to know that about Grandpa. My Grandpa was highly esteemed in the little town I grew up in as a man of God by people in our church, by people in the community. I had a a doctor tell me once, when I die, I don't want any of the preachers in town to bury me. I want my Grandpa to do do it. He was—he he had a photo studio. He wasn't a pastor. But he was a godly man. And we all held him in high regard in our family. You know, the patriarch. And uh, when he was in his last few days, he started to open up and tell me about some of the decisions he made. And some of the decisions he's still guessing about whether he should have done differently. And some of the mistakes he made. And some of the, the goof-ups. And, 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 and how human he was. And it caught me off guard. The first time I heard, when I heard it, Not the first time, but when I first heard it, I was like, whoa, no, no, no. Don't shatter my perfect image of who you are. Then later on, as I processed it, I was so grateful he told me that. Because guess what? I have insecurities. I make mistakes. I question my decisions. I wonder if God could use me. Just like my grandpa did. And so now I have a lot more confidence that God could possibly use a struggler like me because he was, got really real with me. So, this is, so for the older generations, I know, let me tell you what we don't want you to do. We don't necessarily want you to air your dirty laundry. So breathe a sigh of relief. We don't necessarily want that. But we do want you to describe the process of how God worked out these things in your life. God has worked some really neat things in your life. He's given you wisdom. He's given you a, a, a faith. Your faith has grown through the years. Tell us how that happened, would you? That would be really helpful. It'd be really helpful to us to, to know how uh, God worked these things, worked in your life. So, I encourage you, if you want to pass on your experience to those you love, be more transparent with those you love. It might take a little bit of getting used to, especially if you've spent your lifetime building up, building up an image. But if you're in the older generations, you might be realizing more and more that you're not in charge as much anymore. Especially if you're in the oldest generation, you're not holding the whole world together anymore. So you can sort of let down your hair a bit, you can relax a bit, and you could be... More transparent. Please help us. Please help us before. Please help us. Please tell us. Please pass on to us. Please be that generation who speaks to the next generations of how God worked in your life. We need that accumulated wisdom. We need to learn from you, we need to glean from you. We don't want what you know to be lost. We want it to be a benefit going forward. Let me say one last thing. I guess it's the fourth thing. I've, let me just really reiterate them because I know some of you take notes. Let me just quickly say it. Earn the right to speak through relationships, approach from the positive, stretch to be vulnerable, and the last one keep growing. Keep growing. I remember the, the big race to grandpa's when my grandpa and grandma passed away six months apart, when they passed away, there was this big like land race of all the Atkins siblings to get to grandpa's house to divvy up the stuff. It sounds crass. I got there last. Books was all that was left. I was okay, I sort of like books. So I went and looked through my my grandpa's book. Uh, shelves, And I found a lot of old books. And then to my surprise, I found a ton of new books. In fact, I found books that were like right on the bestseller list that very moment. Like Christian books, mostly. I remember finding a copy of Tommy Tenney's The God Chasers, which had just come out months before. And I just thought of my grandpa thinking, God Chaser. Yeah, that's what I should get a book that'll give me one more push to really pursue God in this point of life where I'm at. I picked up that book and thought, he was still going for it at 93. At 93, he was still chasing God. He was still growing. That spoke to me. That spoke to me loud and clear. I thought, wow. That's what you want to learn from. You want to learn from people who are still growing. You know, it's funny. um, Sometimes I, you know, saw what my parents were or my grandparents were and I, I admired that. But you know the moments I admired the most were often the moments where they were really honest about the fact that they didn't know everything and they were trying to learn it. And they were trying to grow. So keep on growing. I run into two, uh, two women actually, who, who, two mothers, who told me the very same story uh, in this last season, in these last two months actually. And they basically said that God has really impressed on them, the importance of them, because they've been really focused on trying to help their kids, maybe even try to fix their kids, right? And they said they've been trying to work in, with their kids and help them and fix them and, 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 and maybe control them because we're always tempted towards that and manipulation's always in the mix and we're always fighting that and whatever. And they said that God really impressed on them the importance for them to come before God and deal with their own stuff, and the one of the of the mothers who told me that said in the last year she said that her and her husband have done more growing, and they're you know they're probably in their I guess in their fifties. They've done more growing in the last year than they have for dozens of years, and it's in that year where they were seeking God, where they were growing, where they were uh, they were trying to to deal with things in their lives that maybe have been undealt with for years that their daughter came back to the Lord. They're <laughs> like, well, we've been trying to coax her and 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 control her and and do all sorts of different things. And now suddenly when we're just focusing on our relationship with God, it's amazing what God has done and uh I encourage you, just keep growing. It's so important. Titus 2, I'm gonna leave you teachers with this one. Titus 2, 1 to 8, says this. You, however, must teach what's appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but but to teach what is good. Then, that then is really important. See, like that, what the older women already have established, then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. See, there's there's requirements on one side that enable you to teach well. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. I think that's the blanket statement for men. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. So you have women who are being reverent in the way they live. You have men who in everything set an example by doing what is good. And that growing, vital relationship with God makes you a good one to teach, right? Because it's not just your words that get translated, it's your actions too, right? It's not just taught, it's caught. So now let me speak to the other side. The hearts that hear. Okay, hearts that hear? Of course, it's you guys too. You know how it is. Hearts that hear. You want to have the best chance to hear? Let me give you James 119 as a great starting point. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. So if someone comes and brings a word of advice or a word of correction in your life, you should say this to yourself. Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. That's really great advice. Now, not everyone does this. So let me introduce you to the epitome of people who are not quick to listen, not slow to speak, and not slow to become angry. The Bible calls them the fool. Okay? Let me introduce you to the fool. Proverbs 1, 7-9 starts the beginning parts of the description of the fool. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They're a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. So a few things in there. First, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. An awe and reverence, recognizing God's greatness, his power, his majesty, recognizing he is the ultimate reality, and that all the other pressures in your life, all the other voices in your life don't matter as much as that one voice, the voice of God. Okay, so that's the beginning of knowledge. It says, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So you want a, a biblical definition of a fool? This is a pretty good one. Someone who despises wisdom and instruction. Someone who's unteachable. That's a good, pretty good definition of a fool. Someone who doesn't listen to their father's instruction. Someone who forsakes their mother's teaching. A pretty good definition. However, Proverbs 12.15 tells us more about this, this fool character that we don't want to be. It says, the way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. You see the contrast there? Proverbs 18.2, Proverbs fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. I don't really want to listen to you. I just want to talk to you. I want to tell you my own opinions. Now, there's a place for telling your own opinions, but it's, it's a shared thing, right? It's called communicating back and forth, right? But a fool doesn't want that. A fool is just wanting to air their own opinions. Proverbs 18:13 says, To answer before listening, that is folly and shame. Okay, a little bit more of the picture. We're all probably wincing a little bit because haven't we all done this? Someone's talking and we're just thinking about what our answer is going to be. We're not listening about what they're saying right now. It's just what am I going to say that's going to be so persuasive? And What, are you done? Now, let me tell you, to answer before listening. And Proverbs 15, one to five, or actually I'll just read the, the verse five. It says, a fool spurns a parent's discipline. But whoever heeds correction shows prudence. So, I think we're all in our lives, we're all in a progression from being foolish to being wise. One of the scriptures I didn't list, I should have listed it, is foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. I think it goes on to say, but the rod of correction drives it away or something. I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but that's the basic gist of it. So when you're born, there's lots of foolishness in you. In other words, you just don't have experience. You don't have wisdom. You haven't learned how life works. Maybe you're not that aware of God even, but you just really you need to gain wisdom. And you hope to do that over the course of your lifetime. So there's the first stage where you look to your parents, you know when you're a child, what's the first stage is, my parents know everything. When you're a child, that's true. Dad, how does this work? And dad is like acing every question up to a certain point. And then there comes that age where, wait a second, I think my dad doesn't know everything. And actually that can turn pretty quickly to, my dad doesn't know anything. That's stage two. Right? So my parents know everything. That's childhood. But then it becomes, my parents don't know anything. And they're super embarrassing. Right? Then you get a little older, you get to the next stage where you say, hey, my parents were right about some things. This is a big surprise. Because you were pretty convinced stage two was the final stage. You were pretty convinced that they don't know anything was the final word. But then you go, whoa, they were right about some things. And whether you tell them or not, because you might not tell them, you recognize it that, that they were right about some things. This leads to another stage, which is, my parents were right about so many things. This is really surprising. You're finally starting to see things clearly, right? Wisdom is growing. And then the fifth stage is, I better find out what my parents know before it's too late. I could add a sixth stage, but it's a little sad. And that's, I wish I still had my parents so I could ask them what I need to know. So we're all on this journey from childish foolishness, no experience, little wisdom, to gaining experience, to gaining wisdom. And the journey that we take can be very interesting. Interesting. I'll tell you about one area of my journey. There was this girl I liked. And uh, my older brother asked me about it, the scenario. He said, so I, I hear you like this girl. And I said, yeah, I like this girl. And then my brother launched into this sort of mini lecture. And he was like, Steve, that is not the kind of girl you want to be with. I'm just telling you, from my experience, he's five years older than me. From my experience, I'm just telling you, you do not want to go down this road. This is a bad decision. And uh, I really just think you should, you know, actually stay away from this girl and just get on with your life. You'll be happier for it. It'll end up better for you. And I remember saying, like, who are you to tell me what to do with my life? Do I sound wise? I thought I did at the time. I was like, who are you? And then my brother's response was, listen, I have already made these mistakes, and they ended badly. Why can't you just learn from my mistakes? And my response was, because I want to learn from my own mistakes. Now, right now, I think I'm a genius, but I am a fool. Fool. Nobody has enough time in their life to learn everything by making all the mistakes. And nobody wants to live that life. That is a life of sorrow and pain. A wise person would say, okay, tell me what you know. Tell me what you learned. Explain it to me so I can get it. I want to learn. I want to grow. You know what my brother could have done? Oh, did I put it in here? Maybe. Yeah. You know what my my brother could have done? Is he could have turned to Proverbs chapter 5. Now he wouldn't have done this. This just would have never happened between us. But can you imagine my brother would have said, Well, Steve, let me just read to you out of the Bible. This is what he could have read to me. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Turn your ear to my words of insight, (laughs) that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. For the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end she is bitter as gall sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths wander aimlessly, but she does not know it. Now then, my son, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you lose your honor to others and your dignity to one who is cruel." Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich the house of another. At the end of your life, you will groan. When your flesh and body are spent, you will say, How I hated discipline. How my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers or turn my ear to my instructors. And I was soon in serious trouble in the assembly of God's Now, my brother could have read that to me. Now, the end of the story is a good one. It ended up she wasn't interested in me. And I am so thankful. It all came to nothing. But not because I was wise. I wasn't. I was a fool. Somehow, through the grace of God, I dodged a bullet. I know that now. I didn't know that then. Let me fast forward a few years. That was me in late high school, grade 11 or 12. I can't remember when. That was me in grade 11 or 12. A couple years later, I was in Bible college, going to Eston College. And things had progressed a little bit. I was a little more open to learning, I was a little more open to wisdom. I was a little more willing to be taught. So my hearing ear had grown. I think, there's a, I think I have a proverb to read about that, don't I? Yes, I think I do. Hang on, let me see if I can find it. Oh, yeah, Proverbs 18, 15. The heart of the discerning acquires knowledge, for the ears of the wise seek it out. Do you have ears that seek out knowledge? my ear for seeking out knowledge had started to develop. And this, I was standing in the lineup waiting for lunch. And there's two young ladies in front of me, Carrie Lewis and Karen Chartrand. And they were talking in a very low whisper. Hey, have you read it yet? Yeah, I just read chapter four. Oh, chapter four is amazing. Oh, yeah, it's so good. I'm just learning so much. Somehow, I could hear the whisper, and I leaned in, and I thought, what are they talking about? Now, I knew both of these young ladies to be godly young women. I admired them. I thought they were doing well in life and probably were making good decisions. And I learned enough through in, eavesdropping on their conversation to pick up their, re, they're talking about a book they were both reading. It was Elizabeth Elliott's Passion and Purity, which is all about submitting your love life to Jesus Christ, no matter what the cost. It's a pretty extreme book. It's hardcore discipleship. And I was listening and eavesdropping, and I made a mental note. If I ever get into a serious relationship someday, I'm going to find that book. And see what it says. Just jogged that into my memory and kept it there. Now I didn't meet Marnie for several years, but when I met Marnie and things were starting to develop in our relationship, it came back to my mind. I got to get me that book. So I ordered a copy of Passion and Purity. I mean it's not for everybody, it's only for people who have passions and who struggle with purity. So it probably doesn't apply to you, but it applied it to me. So I, I, I took this book and I opened it up and I poured through it and I was like drenched with wisdom. Here was this woman, it, it, her husband, Jim Elliott, remember, speared to death by the Alka Indians. She went and lived with them and they won the tribe to Christ. Long story. But now she's talking about love and relationships and how to submit all that to Christ. And I am just eating it up and I thought, whoa, what happened? What happened? To the guy who wouldn't listen to his older brother? What happened to the guy? What happened to the fool? Well, slowly but surely, God was increasing my appetite for wisdom. And allowing my ear to lean in to hear. And I think that's the, the, the desire that we would have For our lives, is that we would grow and grow and grow in our our ability to to receive wisdom and to hear wisdom. Listen to Proverbs 2 1 to 5, how much the the desire to reach out for wisdom. It says, My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, listen to this. Indeed, if you call out for insight, this is a passion. If you call out for insight, you cry aloud for understanding. And if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. You want, to have a, you want to have ears that hear? You want to be good at gleaming what others in their experience and wisdom could offer you? Then cry out for it. Cry out for it. If you lack wisdom, ask God. He loves to give it uh, liberally. He loves to give lots of it. And he'll use people in your lives to do that. But if your ear is blocked, if you say, nobody can teach me, I want to live my life and make all my own mistakes, I don't want to be, I'm just going to do this on my own. Then you're going to go down the hard road. You're going to go down the hard road. You're someday going to say, man, I hated discipline, and boy, that was a mistake. So we want to have ears that reach way out here. Even when people communicate badly. Even when people tell us the truth, but they don't couch it in love. That we are such good listeners that we still can get it. We say, whoa, that was harsh. But there's a nugget of truth there. Whoa, I would not have said it that way. But I think there's wisdom behind what they're saying. So if the listeners could be great listeners so that even poor communicators could get through to them, and the communicators, the teachers could be such great teachers so that even the people whose ears are barely open could still hear, what an incredible church we could build. What an incredible transfer of wisdom and knowledge and understanding could happen between the generations. And wherever you're at, you're probably going to play both roles. So we have to commit ourselves to benefit the generations that follow us and to receive from the generations that preceded us. And allow God to bring a flow of his wisdom, of his insight, of his understanding between the two to allow his desires for the generations to happen in our church. Let's stand together. These next number of weeks, I'm just laying out the, the framework for what we want to have happen in the next number of weeks. We're going to have different avenues in which uh, wisdom about all sorts of things can be passed on. Some of you who are in the older generations uh, If you've just been thinking, man, if only this younger generation knew this, that would really help them. Tell me about that. Email me. Talk to me. Write to me in cursive. They won't be able to read it, but I can translate for them. Okay? We want to be able to pass that on. I'm not the repository of all the wisdom. I'm a Gen Xer. I'm in the middle. I'm probably a good go between good middleman. But those of you in the older generations, I'd love it if you would you'd take the time to think about what things the younger generation needs to know. Or if you could, if, Maybe there's something you say, if I was to do it all over again, this is what I'd do. Or here's the one thing I think I did right. Would you send me a message? Pass that on to me? I'd love to allow that to shape some of the teaching we do down the next few weeks. Okay? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for each generation that's in this room. Thank you so much for uh, the way in which uh, you are shaping us together, you're allowing us to walk together. Lord, I pray that the different generations in this room would not just be separate tribes that don't mingle, but I pray instead that we would be one body, one body. I thank you that you've you've given us a multi-generational church. What an incredible gift from you to see every generation represented here. And Lord, each one is needed. And so Lord, I pray for the things that you want to do generation to generation. We don't want to stand in the way of that, but we want to align ourselves with that. We want to give ourselves to that. And so Lord, we just pray that you'd help us to transfer uh, things. Lord, I, there's ones here today who they're thinking about the things they have to pass on to kids or, or people in another generation. I pray you just give them wisdom in how to make that approach. There's also ones who, they're needing that wisdom. They don't, know who to, they don't know even how to get around someone to provide mentoring or, or insight into their lives. I pray you give them wisdom in how to approach that as well. But Lord, I pray that we would have lives that can teach and that we have ears that can hear. I pray that our hearts would be wide open to receive the wisdom that you have for us. Thank you that you're good and that your plans are, for us are good as well. We love you. Well, if you're, we're going to worship and then we're going to pray at the end uh, if people need prayer. So the prayer teams will be up, but we'll just turn things over. Worship team is going to lead us. But if you want someone to pray with you today, I'd love to pray with you. Our, Our prayer teams would as well.